Welcome to the PatioBooks.com presentation of Murder at Avedon Hill. My name is P.G. Holyfield. Previously on Murder at Avedon Hill. She looked around nervously. Excuse me, sirs, but I need to get your room ready for you. Lila curtsied and hurried away from the table. Father Joris moved his eyes from Aramis to Aaron. There is evil here in Avedon Hill. You can never be sure what will greet you at your door. But Gloria Platt said something about her niece eventually coming here to take over as housemistress. If this is the case, how will Blake Weathertop profit? I, uh, all I can say is that Miss Celine, who should be the next housemistress, she isn't here right now, is she, Sir Aramis? People around here seem to trust you, but do not forget who you are and who we are. Wandering the hallway outside the unprotected rooms of Lord Evidence's children, people have been put to death in Groge for less, no? Allie said she was dusting along this hall when she heard your father call out. Now, how could she hear the shout from here, when others downstairs either did not hear the shout or couldn't tell where the shout came from? That's an easy one. He pointed to the northern side of the hall, where the doors were. Bedrooms behind those doors. He then pointed to the opposite wall, the southern wall of the corridor. And behind that wall, what do you think? The courtyard. Richard turned and nodded to Aaron. Yes. The walls of the courtyard reach to the top of the manor, and the northern wall of the courtyard is on the other side of this wall. I'm sure we'll speak again tomorrow, Sir Aramis. Actually, one, one more question. I'm sorry. Just thinking out loud here. Yes? Why, Edward? Come again? You skipped Karen's bedroom and went directly to Edward's room. I was just wondering why you did not check on Karen first. After a few moments of silence, Richard finally responded. I... I don't really... Well, to tell you the truth, it was just instinct. Edward is the next in line after me, even though Karen is older. And even though Karen's room is closest to mine, Edward is the first sibling I think of in situations like that. Richard closed the door before Aramis had a chance to thank him again for his time. Episode 12 of Murder at Avedon Hill. Chapter 12 The End of the Day. The Icon of Artus. The Child of War. 
Artis will break the binds that hold him and enter Callan's Abyss. From the Third Collected Prophecies of Iberian, Book 2, Chapter 4. Aramis Cragen and Aaron Pertie made their way down the manor road back into Avedon Hill. As they walked towards the inn, they again passed the temple and Cousin Red's darkened home. Aramis assumed his cousin must be at the inn. Aramis then noticed smoke rising from the chimney of Father Joris's home. Aaron, you go on. I must speak to Father Joris. Aaron looked at his mentor, one eyebrow raised. Are you sure? I can stay here with you. Aramis reached out and placed both hands on Aaron's shoulders. He then pushed Aaron playfully, causing him to stagger down the path. No, I need you to get our room ready for the evening and order our meals. I will need a hot meal waiting for me when I arrive. But first, I need some advice from our retired temple cleric. Aaron frowned but did not argue, continuing down the path and into the night. There was a greater chill in the air, and Aramis was sure it would only get colder as the days continued. While the Lantis Mountains of Grosch were far to the south of the Ragnarok Mountains of Inara, this area of Grosch was still well known for its harsh winter. Aramis knew full well that if he and Aaron were not able to solve the murder of Greta Platt quickly, it would not matter if Lord Avedon gave them access to the Olviarn Pass. After the first real snowstorm of the winter, portions of the pass would become inaccessible. Aramis approached Father Joris's home and wrapped his knuckles on the frame of the door. Father Joris, it is Aramis Cragen. May we speak? I will only take a few moments of your time. Aramis heard movement inside the home. Through a covered window, a light that had been burning low grew brighter. Soon thereafter, the door opened. Father Joris's eyes were blank for a moment, seemingly not recognizing the monk. But then the priest sniffed loudly. Gradually, Joris's eyes focused on the monk, and he reached out and grasped Aramis by the arm. Kragen, where's your boy? He looked like he might be able to help me fight tonight. Are you expecting an attack tonight? Oh, yes, always. Father Joris, what, what is your evening routine? He loosened his grip slightly. I'll go to the cemetery after last bells. Ah, I forgot that Lord Avedon has ordered our fine new temple keeper to keep the bells silent. I will head over a little later and keep watch. Do you think a vampire will appear there? Father Joris let go of Aramis's arm. No, I don't expect an attack on consecrated ground, but it is a good open high area. I can see a great deal of the town from the graveyard. Father, I have a question for you, but not about vampires. The cleric seemed to be having one of his more lucid moments. He shook his shoulders and arms as if loosening up before battle. Yes, brother of Aaron. What is it? Earlier today I ran into a moon beast in one of the caves east of town, larger than any wolfling I have ever seen. I was wondering if you would ever run into any of them during your travels. His eyes lit angrily. A moon beast? Damnable druid spawn. 
Father Joris referred to the legend that the first moon beast was the result of druidic magic gone horribly wrong. Tell me about him. Aramis omitted the details of why they were in the caves, but described the attack of the moon beast and his two wolf companions. He showed him his tattered robes, where the claws and teeth of the beast had almost reached him. He described the intelligence in the beast's eyes and how it had fled once his counterparts had been dispatched. Ha! So your student is a fighter. I knew he would be of help to me. Aramis attempted to drag Joris back to their conversation. Father, if during the course of our investigation we find ourselves in a position to help you in your fight, you can rest assured we will be right by your side. But the moon beast... You said you sensed a human-like intelligence in the beast, right? Yes, he definitely assessed the situation and fled accordingly. He knew he could probably win the fight, but he saw the possibility of defeat and chose to fight another day. <sighs> a shifter, possibly. Aramis recognized the term, but wanted Joris to continue. What do you mean? Father Joris pointed a crooked finger at the monk. You know the story of Orin's Poe? Yes, he was the Knight of the Rose that once captured a moon beast. Father Joris lost his train of thought for a moment. Yes. He should have been a hunter, not wasted his time. He stopped himself and did not elaborate further. Aramis smiled to himself. Joris's dislike of the priest of Cairn, the followers of Iberian that had displaced him as temple leader in Avedon Hill, apparently carried over to the paladins that served them. Joris returned to his story. There is a part of the tale you probably have never heard. Since I no longer work for anyone, I don't mind sharing certain secrets. What do you know of Poe's story? I know that at least three hundred years ago, Orance Poe trapped a moon beast in a cave and sent his page to get reinforcements. The knights had been trying to capture a moon beast alive for years. It took ten days for his attendant to return with a quad of paladins. When they arrived, they removed the stone that had blocked the entrance to the cave, and found only the dead body of a human, Mayo, and two bloody words scratched into the dirt of the cave floor. Help me. Official reports blamed Orin's Poe for somehow allowing a human to get trapped in the cave with the beast. The fact that there were no other exits from the cave, and that the body found in the cave had not been mauled by the beast, was never explained. Officially, of course. Unofficially, it was always assumed that the beast had died at some point during the ten days, and had changed into human form. And in his dying moments, he wrote the message found on the ground. Well, here's the part you never heard, officially or unofficially. Orin's Poe never spoke of the events again, until his deathbed. He described what happened in that cave to his page, the same valet that had been with Orin's when he had captured the creature. Orin's told the man that during those ten days he heard the most horrible things coming from that cave, screams both animal and human. He thought at first he had somehow missed someone in the cave, and that the beast was in the cave torturing the man. Orens tried to enter the cave, but the trap had been set too well. The rock that had been used to trap the beast was too heavy for Orens to move without aid. But after the first day or so, he began to realize that the sounds coming from inside the cave were from one creature. Aramis nodded. It was changing from wolf to human, and back again. 
Joris returned the nod. He tried to communicate with it in its human form. The human voice was insane, unable to speak coherently. Except on the ninth day. The beast was dying from a lack of water, I'm sure. It leaned against the stone. It talked as a child would, about a farm in Inara, about being taken by men on horseback, about a man who could change from man to beast with a thought. A shapeshifter. Yes. Maybe the beast in the cave was a shifter that didn't know how to control the change. He paused, collecting his thoughts. Mm. Moon beasts are created when humanoids are attacked and bitten by other moon beasts, but survive. Most victims transform into beasts permanently after a few days. A few change form uncontrollably. Some say controlled by the cycle of the moon. And a very few are shapeshifters, who can change form at will. And if you encountered such a shifter, our problems are not limited to the undead. We believe that shifters retain more of their human intelligence than other moon beasts, and can control other animals as well. Aramis nodded in agreement. He had heard many legends of moon beasts, and knew several stories of the child Ursula. It was said that she often chose to live out her lives on Cairn as a shapeshifter. Well, as far as Greta's murder is concerned, her wounds could not have been made by a moon beast, correct? Joris smiled. I never saw Greta's body, but from the description I heard, I would have to say no. Her throat would have been torn out, as would most of the rest of her body. Hers was a vampire killing, to be sure. Aramis didn't return Father Joris's smile. Thank you for your time, Father Joris. Until tomorrow. You should come out to the cemetery tonight. Father Joris flared his nostrils. There is something in the air. Tonight, we sleep. I wish you luck. To you as well. You'd better take shifts sleeping if you aren't with me. I will take that under advisement, Father Joris. Good evening to you. Aramis bowed and excused himself. Father Joris grumbled something inaudible under his breath and then went back inside his home. A short time later, Aramis sat at a table at the inn with Aaron, eating a well-prepared venison stew. Aramis passed along some of what Father Joris had told him. Aaron was excited to hear more about the moon beast. So do you think someone in town could be this shifter? I don't think so, but I've been wrong before. What I mean to say is, it just seemed like that creature had nothing to do with what's going on here. And besides, we have no idea if it is a shifter. We just know it is intelligent, and that it was traveling with other wolves. We only have the word of a former undead hunter and some old legends that shifters even exist. Aramis changed the subject at that point because Talek stopped by for a chat. He regaled them with the story of a spice merchant he wanted to bring into town. Aramis had Aaron feign a headache in order to excuse himself from the table. As he left, Aaron asked Talek who he needed to talk to about drawing a bath, which drew Talek from the table. Aramis took the opportunity to open his notebook and study what he had written during that day, comparing it to what Constable Lewis had provided. There were several people that could explain their whereabouts the night Greta was murdered, but many others that could not. 
Aramis determined that their focus for the next day would be to narrow down the list of possible suspects. His mind returned to something that had bothered him all day. The question of motive. The courtyard where Greta Platt was murdered proved this was not some random vampire killing. Either a vampire had a reason to kill Greta, or someone had taken great pains to make it appear like a vampire attack. Then there was the question of Greta's personal life. No one admitted to knowing anyone in town that she might have been involved with. Yet when she took her excursions outside of town, she carried enough food for at least two people. Greed was certainly a motive to consider. The position of housemistress seemed to hold more power than he had initially thought possible. Greta seemed to control access to Lord Avedon himself. If someone wanted something, anything from Lord Avedon, they had to go through her. Why are you dead, Greta Platt? Greed? Jealousy? Or some unseen agenda? That is the question we must tackle tomorrow. Satisfied with his plan for the next morning, Aramis closed his notebook and continued his meal. He saw his cousin peek his head out of the door that led to the kitchen. Aramis waved him over to join him. Red limped over to the table and sat down. Why not have Father Livestone or Marissa take a look at that leg of yours? Red threw his folded dish towel over his shoulder. First of all, it's, it's not an injury. It's like I said, it's just age pains. It doesn't hurt that much. Aramis shrugged. If you say so. He took another bite of his meal. Did you cook this? Talek does most of the cooking, but I helped out some tonight. This is great stew. Red smiled. Talek may know little about business, but he could fill the abyss with what he knows about cooking. That venison has been soaking in a garlic marinade for, for three days. Talek gives Chef Roland a run for his money, and he doesn't get the fine ingredients that the manor chef has access to. Aramis nodded again as he chewed. It felt good to have some time with his cousin. Red looked around for Talek and whispered, don't want Talek to find me sitting here. You should be busy with our young Aaron for a while, though, eh? Aramis knew that our young Aaron was a reference to Aaron's lineage. By the way, how is your investigation going, cousin? Still too early to tell. We have met everyone in town that had some sort of access to Greta Platt other than Jilly, Jilly Hemming and the blacksmith's apprentice. Alice Wink. Yes. Tomorrow we will speak to everyone that does not have an alibi for the night Greta was killed. Try to find out if there was anyone that had some motivation to kill her. Red climbed to his feet. Well, good luck, Aramis. Since it's a slow night, again, Talek should let me go home soon. I should be there most of tomorrow. You can stop by if you like. He actually sounded somewhat hopeful. If there's any way I can, I will. No worries. See you, cousin. Red turned and left for the kitchen. Aramis finished his meal in peace. Lila entered the common room and began clearing the table just as Aramis folded his hand towel, as if on cue. It was the first time Aramis had seen the maid since the morning. Good evening to you, Sir Aramis. And to you, Lila. Lila smiled at the use of her name. She still seemed a little uneasy, however, and Aramis didn't want to scare the maid off once again. How busy do you get when the town is open to travellers, Lila? Oh, never very busy. That, that's why only me and Red work here for Talek. 
I know he'd love to have a bustling inn with a full staff and twenty patrons a night, but that just isn't Avedon Hill. Aramis broached the subject, testing the waters. You understand we have been asked by Lord Avedon to investigate the events that occurred at the manor last week. Lila nodded. Yes, Sir Aramis. I'm not going to ask you anything this evening. I'm tired, and we can talk tomorrow. I just want you to think about Greta and the other townspeople. If anything comes to mind that might be able to help, let me know. Lila didn't flee as she had that morning, but appeared concerned nonetheless. What do you mean, Sir Aramis? If you remember anyone acting peculiar or anything that seemed out of place over these last few weeks, I would like to hear about it. Yes, Sir Aramis. The monk smiled and patted the maid's hand. Good. Now, answer me this. How many bathtubs are in my room? One, Sir Aramis. Okay, then. Please bring me one of Talek's ales that people keep telling me about. When Aaron is done with his bath and the water has been changed, please let me know. Yes, Sir Aramis. And please, just call me Aramis. Lila, please. Yes, sir. Yes, Aramis. Later, Aaron Pertie ran his fingers through his long, blonde hair, shaking out the excess water. He was dressed for sleep and looking very forward to the soft bed he was about to climb into. Aramis lounged in the nearby bathtub, relaxing. Aaron, please pull out my other robes. The robes I wore today will have to be mended. Should I take them to Sarah Tremaine's shop tomorrow? We will see. I do not want you going into her establishment alone, I think. I don't think you should go in there alone either. Aramis slid down in the tub until water covered his head. A few moments later, he bobbed back up. You could be right, but I trust myself more than I trust you in this matter. He was only half joking. Aaron pulled out Aramis's clothes and then sat on the edge of his own bed. He knew Aramis would enjoy his bath as long as the water remained warm. Do you need anything else, Aramis? Aramis rubbed the side of his face and then shook his head. Now, you go get some sleep. I will stay up as long as I can, and then I'll wake you to take the second watch. Watch? We don't really need to do that, do we? I have to agree with Father Juris on this. While I am not expecting an undead attack, someone killed Greta Platt. By now, everyone in town, including Greta's murderer, or murderers, knows this. Three constables and a few guards at the manor will not keep us safe if the killer attempts to get to us first. Aaron threw his head back onto his mattress. Wake me when you need me. Enveloping me, holding me, carrying me, oh, the rapture. The light extinguishes in an instant. Oh, 
darkness. Why do you come? Not again. Images and sensations rush by, unhindered by the darkness. The feeling of movement threatens to overpower her. The colors of a kaleidoscope transformed by a windstorm. Childhood to adulthood. Life unto death unto life. Open eyes. Open light. No, not light. Not light. The rapture is gone. The nothing that is left leaves a hole as wide as the ocean. The pain of life could never match the nothing she now felt. How can this be? Move. Move. I cannot. I cannot. Oh, how does this work? What should be her hand cannot reach her mouth, her face. Try. Try again. Where am I? Who? Am I? Aj, Aruna, save me. Smell blood? Who? What? Water? Not blood. Not blood. Aj or any of his children cannot save you. You are lost to him. You are lost to him. The the voice. Not mine, is it? Isn't it? The nothing is replaced with skin peeling from flesh. The voice she now knows is not hers, speaks to her through the pain. Now we talk. Now we talk. No. No. The pain overwhelms the nothing in an instant. Oh, how could I be so wrong? been listening to Murder at Avenon Hill, a podcast novel written and produced by P.G. Holyfield. Please visit pgholyfield.com for more information on this novel and the author. Most of the music in this podcast generously provided by Shira Common through Magnatune.com. Magnatune.com. They are not evil. 
Additional music generously provided by Kevin McLeod through his website at incompetech.com. Be sure to check out Murder at Abaddon Hill at patiobooks.com. And if you are so inclined, please post a review at iTunes, at Podcast Pickle, or at patiobooks.com. This podcast is copyright 2007-2008 by P.G. Holyfield and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivative works, 3.0 U.S. license. <laughs>